We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome in, everybody, to the CFB Nation All-America Podcast. My name is Bill Trochi, Senior Editor here at SportingNews.com, alongside lead college football writer Bill Bender from SportingNews.com. And, Bill, we got a special show, special guest, guest number one of the CFB Nation All-America Podcast. We've had probably 40 episodes this season, and uh, we are happy to welcome in Brian Howell from BuffZone.com. Brian covers the Colorado uh, Buffaloes. He has covered them for 13 years, and uh, Colorado is in the news, of course, for the last month since they have hired Deion Sanders. So Brian was in Atlanta at the Celebration Bowl, ran into him in the podcast, I mean, sorry, in the press box, and he uh, spent a lot of time around the team Friday, Friday night, Saturday. He was in the locker room right after the game, and Brian, just uh, welcome in. And uh, glad you're here and, uh, you know, give us some impressions of the weekend. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. 
Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Stuff. And yeah, it was it was a weekend. You know, around them and, and I actually enjoyed covering a football game when I didn't have to worry about the stats and, and uh, <laughs> you know, the daily uh, minutia of who's going to play and all that stuff. It was fun just kind of. Uh, being around Jackson State and, and getting to learn uh, the program a little bit, but more so, you know, for my purposes, getting to know Deion Sanders and his program and uh, and kind of what, uh, what CU fans can expect in Boulder. So um, it was a lot of fun, and uh, it's only in all those years covering Colorado, it's only the third bowl game I've ever covered, and it didn't even involve the Buffs. So, uh, and it was the most enjoyable one because uh, the previous two bowl games I covered, uh, uh, they they got their. Uh, their butts kicked against Oklahoma State and Texas. So uh, this was a, the most entertaining bowl game I've covered. Well, yeah, and it went right down the wire. And Shador Sanders, the future Colorado quarterback, looked absolutely phenomenal. If you're a, if you're a Buffs fan, you got to be excited about that. Yeah, you know, and after what they've had at quarterback the last two years, uh, watching Shador is pretty phenomenal. I mean, uh, four touchdown passes should have had a fifth. Uh, Colorado had ten the entire season. Uh, Three hundred yards passing. Uh, Colorado hasn't had that uh, by anyone since Steven Montez in 2019. Uh, so uh, it, it was pretty impressive to watch that. But it was more so than just the stats. It was really just watching Shadour, uh, his poise, and uh, the way he, you know, I loved how when he scrambles, uh, there was a couple of sacks he took that, you know, he probably shouldn't have taken and they came at critical times. But there was times that he would scramble and, uh, and keep his eyes downfield and make a play and a throw that you would say, wow, <laughs> we haven't seen that type of throw in a long time. And uh, really was never even close to being picked off, whereas we watch Colorado quarterbacks all the time. If they weren't getting picked off, they should have been picked off. And so um, it was just kind of refreshing to watch some quarterback play and think, wow, that guy's going to be in Boulder next year. Hey, Brian, Bill Bender. Um, so 13 seasons, doing the quick math here, you've seen five different coaches, one winning season. So what – how much of the Dion effect has hit Boulder? How how long till it wears off? Or is this something that you think the program's just so starved for success that that whatever Dion does is going to be right up, up until September? Well, I'll give you a key stat here. I have covered more in-season coach firings than bowl games. <laughs> uh, so th- this year was the third time that uh, uh, CU has fired a head coach during the season in my time on the beat. So with Dan Hawkins, uh, uh, Mike McIntyre, and now Carl Terrell. So uh, that should tell you how starved this program or these fans are uh, for something. And uh, when will it die down? I have no idea. Um, My guess is that it's not going to uh, for a while. Uh, I think the honeymoon period is going to last at least through the off season. And we'll see what happens when they start playing games. And uh, you know, the schedule next year is not, the easiest schedule out there. Uh, but I think he's going to totally win the off season. And uh, especially with, with his, uh, his team, the, the content they produce, they're going to have videos and content throughout. He already is appealing to fans by uh, showing them at breakfast spots. He loves breakfast. Uh, Dion does. And so he's shown up at several breakfast spots in Boulder where uh, they'll, they film everything, but he'll give a review of the breakfast spot. And, you know, so things like that, you know, I mean, the fans are just eating everything up that he's doing, and uh, I imagine he's going to continue to do that. I saw a video this morning. Uh, he posted something where um, he puts out there, hey, we need a, a barber 
uh, up in Boulder, you know, to cut some hair today. And then later on in the video, there was the barber, and they're like, "Yeah, this kid came from up, come up from a uh, Commerce City about thirty minutes away to uh, cut hair." So he responded to the video and came up and cut hair. So yeah, everybody's watching, and they're. I'm not sure when it's going to end, but it certainly will last throughout the off season. Yeah, you told me you know, some unbelievable numbers about just the season ticket applications for the the first ten days that uh, after he was hired. Yeah, you know, uh, 7,000 uh, applications and interest forms uh, put in for season tickets. Uh, that's in, in addition to 25% of the season ticket holders renewed within the first 10 days. Uh, and that's with uh, the the tickets outbound call. That's uh, just receiving uh, calls. It's 1,700 deposits on season tickets. For perspective, I asked their uh, ticket guy, well, how does that compare to previous off-seasons? And he says, in previous years, uh, for the entire offseason, we've topped out at maybe a thousand interest forms, and so for them to get seven thousand in the ten days, and and think about this, that's seven thousand interest forms. Each one of those is going to want what two, three, four season tickets. So you know the, the amount of season tickets they'll sell. I, I, I imagine they'll cap it somewhere because they like to have some single game tickets. But um, I mean, this season not this not something they've had to consider in the past, out. right? Not something they've had to consider capping the no, season tickets. <laughs> I, I don't remember if they've. Yeah, I don't think they've ever thought about doing that, and so, um, you know, I imagine they're going to have to think about capping it at some point. With signing day tomorrow or Wednesday, obviously, um, what is there any surprises? I mean, obviously, Edwards was a big recruit for them. I mean, I, I know this is so late in the cycle, but can Dion produce some unexpected signing day moments? If not. What's a reasonable, can he make this a top 10 recruiting class by the next cycle? What What are your expectations on Dion on the recruiting trail? I do think there'll be some surprises uh, just because that's the way Dion rolls. Um, uh, I, but I also think one of the biggest surprises will be maybe how low key tomorrow is for, for CU. As I was talking to him over the weekend, I mentioned Wednesday being a big day. And he said, yeah, it's a big day, but you know, there, there's a lot of time uh, for him to put this thing together and he wants to work through the transfer portal a lot. So um, Wednesday is going to be big, but you know, the way he, he was saying it to me, this whole off season's big. And I think they're going to be adding guys uh, throughout. And he also brought up to me that there's a lot of transfers they want to bring in that they need to graduate first because they've already transferred one time. So they've got to be graduates so they can uh, play right away. So uh, he mentioned there's a lot of guys that may not be here until the summer. So, um, I think this is going to be ongoing, and that might be the biggest surprise and maybe letdown for some CU fans is maybe um, that tomorrow is a little more low-key than they want it to be. So uh, the Athletic Road uh, ran a story this morning or yesterday uh, about quoting multiple Colorado guys who were committed to Carl Durrell, and they were, uh, when he was let go, uh, Rick George, the athletic director at Colorado, personally, called them up, asked them to stay inside their recruiting class. And then when Dion was hired, uh, they were told not by Dion, not by Rick George, that they probably were not going to be in this class. Not a good look for Colorado. What are your thoughts on Rick George as the athletic director, as the most powerful man in the athletic department, making those calls and making those promises? Because I don't think he should have done that. Yeah, I will say he's probably the second most powerful man in the athletic department now, but <laughs> yeah, behind Dion. But I right. know what you're saying. Yeah, um, yeah, and not a good look. Uh, you know, 
the thing, the fact that to me is that I think this stuff happens all the time when there's coaching changes. It's just the athletic director probably should not have, uh, you know, made those promises. I mean, uh, it happens all the time. You have a coaching change and a coach, uh, a new coach will pull a scholarship offer. Um, you know, it's not written about all the time, but you have it where, you know, coaches stay and they pull a scholarship offer because they get someone better that wants to come. Uh, so I think that's just the ugly side of recruiting. Um, I don't look at it uh, as too much of a big deal because I think that stuff happens all the time. Uh, and I think that with the transfer portal, I think this uh, recruiting business is going to be more cutthroat uh, as we go along. And so it's an unfortunate thing and you hope those kids land somewhere. But, uh, you know, I, I think the only bad part to me was probably that uh, the AD shouldn't have promised anything. Dion being as polarizing as he is, what is a reasonable win loss record? You mentioned the schedule. It is brutal. They're, they're playing every PAC 12 heavy hitter. So, so my question to you is let's say Colorado goes five and seven. Is that a successful season one to you? And two, is it how would his supporters versus detractors view it? Is that is there enough patience at Colorado with Dion to see this through a five and seven and, and on and on you go up the ladder? I think a lot of it depends on what that five and seven looks like. Uh, you know, what what do those seven look like? You know, um, are you losing to were you competitive with USC? Were you competitive with Oregon? And did you lose a couple of you know, one score games or single digit games. If that's the case, I think you look at it and say, all right, that was a pretty good, uh, you know, foundational season uh, for Dion. Uh, you know, if they're three and nine and they're getting blown out in several games again, that's going to be a very disappointing season. Um, to me, the ceiling, I don't know about ceiling, but I think it'd be a really, really good year if they get to a bowl game. They're six and six, get to a bowl game, and somewhere around there, which is what five and seven is, I think would be a successful season. Bill, yeah, I do, I'll go ahead, Bill. I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say uh, the over-under I think I saw was 5.5. Yeah, and I think that's a good over-under. And, I, I, you know, without knowing who's going to be on the roster fully, it's hard to, you know, bet on that. But um, based on who I think he might get in here, I would I would lean maybe towards the over. Uh, but it'd be a very uh, slight over. <laughs> you know, I think 6-6, six and 7-5. Six, and five. I was going to ask, too, uh, so – Full disclosure, Brian, I live in Ohio. I follow the Mac pretty closely. Sean Lewis was a little bit of a surprise to me. You know, uh, what can you go into a little bit more? What's the connection there? He runs an offense at Kent that has been quarterback friendly, produced some pretty good ones. Can is that where's the connection there? What what do you think he brings to a staff? It is surprising to me to see a head coach leave that to go be a coordinator. Yeah, you know, I mean, one thing salary-wise, he's going to get a huge bump, you know, from what he made at Kent State as the head coach. But um, connection-wise, we actually asked Dion that a couple weeks ago. Uh, they don't know each other, but um, it's Dion knows a lot of people that know Sean Lewis and have worked with Sean Lewis and um, you know liked his offense. Also brought in you know Lewis's uh, offensive line coach Bill O'Boyle, uh, and they've also brought in one of their their linemen. So <laughs> there's a lot of Kent State and Jackson State connections uh, building here already. But um, I think it's more. Uh, Dion likes the offense there and has some connections uh, through different people that knew Sean Lewis and, you know, his son, Dion's son's the quarterback, you know, and you right. know, he wants a quarterback friendly offense. And I, I think that Sean Lewis is going to deliver that. People you've talked to about Dion, I don't know how much you've bounced around on his actual in-game coaching on the sideline coaching. Uh, you look at the celebration bowl 
and you know it came down to the uh, fourth down at the one yard line in overtime. Uh, unfortunately, they had to burn a, a timeout on defense, uh, so they didn't have one, and the clock was running down. And it seemed like the team lost its composure a little bit when the when the tight end dropped that third down pass. They couldn't get the play in. Shador after the game said, "I should have just taken a delay game, moved it back to the six yard line." and tried an organized play rather than rushing, rushing, rushing at the one-yard line. And I thought that was really insightful from Shador. And then I thought, well, why didn't Dion step in and call that timeout? And that's a reminder maybe that, you know, he's only been on the sideline as a head coach for three years. Yeah, and only for three years, but and also uh, they haven't been in a lot of those scenarios, right? And so, you know, I think that that's one of those things that, uh, you know, I imagine we'll get better over time. Uh, you look at that scenario and think, wow, how, how do they botch that so much? But, you know, hey, we see things like the other day, the New England Patriots losing uh, one of the most remarkable, you know, fashions ever. And that's Bill Belichick, uh, a Bill Belichick coach team that, you know, I look at that and say, why did they not kneel on the ball there, you know, and just go to overtime? So it, it happens in coaching. Um, I, I don't. I don't know if that's uh, indicative of what Dion's going to be like as a coach, but um, you do look at that because that was a big scenario and say, wow, you know, he probably could have done a better job there. Um, I agree with you. I thought it was insightful from Shadur uh, to say that at least there was that recognition post game, but you wish there was that recognition in that moment from somebody to just say, just take the penalty. Right. Brian, do you not know that Bill's a Patriots fan? <laughs> it's a little below the belt. He's still he not didn't over know that. Our, I let no. it slide. He's our I, first I, guest. I let it slide. I didn't know that, and I apologize. But uh, that was a There's brutal a, way to end there, a game. That's a seventy-two hour waiting period for game-ending plays like that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, um, you know, it, it, more on a Shadur to um, ceiling for him. I mean, you're in a conference where obviously you got the Heisman Trophy winning quarterback. Quarterback play was. So important if they did it the old division way. I mean, DTR was great. Um, mm-hmm. How do you see his game translating from that conference? And I know you probably haven't watched a ton of him, or maybe you have, versus how do you think what's, – what's his ceiling in the Pac-12 as a first-year starter in a conference that had great quarterback play this season? Yeah, you know, I didn't watch uh, very much of Jackson State uh, this year other than some highlights. And uh, so I don't know what the competition was like that he faced. And so that's hard to judge that. But just based on what I watched, um, especially in person the other day, some of the things I mentioned, um, just his poise and his awareness um, and keeping his eyes downfield when scrambling. And, you know, I being in the locker room after the game, uh, seeing him address the team, you know, that, that guy's a leader. He's a sophomore but that's his team. You know, I mean, it's Dion's team, but you know, as far as a player goes, that's his team. And so uh, that stuff was impressive to me. You look at the PAC 12 and, you know, Caleb Williams is back. Michael Penix has announced he's coming back. Um, Cam rising. I imagine will be back. Bo Nix. Bo Nix is coming back. Uh, And so at least right now, I would put those four ahead of Shador until Shador proves it at the power five level. Uh, But, you know, I mean, Dorian Thompson Robinson, as great as he was, wasn't even all conference this year because of how great the quarterback play was. <laughs> uh, and so Shador doesn't have to be all conference, just be, and he doesn't have to be very competent to be better than what they've had, to be honest with you. And so um, I guess to me, he's going to be an upgrade over what they have. I'd be shocked if he's not. Uh, but will he be, you know, a Heisman Trophy candidate like some people put out there? I can't imagine that. Just be somewhere in the middle of that and be pretty good. Like Cam Ward, maybe? Like something like that, yeah, something like State. that. You know, um, 
you know, Jaden Delora had a pretty solid season with Arizona, um, you know, struggle a little bit towards the end, but you know, if you're a Cam Ward, uh, Jaden Delora type, um, you know, then I think that that's, that's pretty good for your first year in power five. That's an upgrade for sure. For Colorado. Yeah, no question. Um, Travis Hunter, you think he's going, I don't know, you know, um, actually bumped into him over the weekend and asked him and he wouldn't say anything, but, uh, <laughs> you know, it, I think initially you look at it and say, yeah, he's coming. And he was actually, uh, uh, here in Colorado on, on Sunday night with Shador uh, playing top golf. Uh, so, uh, maybe that's a sign that he's coming here, but, but you know, those kids, you know, when all of a sudden Georgia and Florida state and teams like that come calling for you as well, um, you know, you have a lot of things to think about. So, uh, so we'll see. I know, CU fans are hoping he comes here. Yeah, they, he uh, he resisted the the lore of the Florida States and the Georgias the first time around. Will he resist a second time around? It will be interesting to see. Yeah, Brian, thanks a lot for your time. We really appreciate uh, you coming on. And uh, as the TCU Colorado opener approaches, maybe we'll uh, we'll ring you back up and bring you into the All America podcast. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. All right, thank you. All right, so Bill. How about that? We had a guest. What do you think? Yeah, we pulled it <laughs> off. I mean, I'm so used to being on the other end of those in radio interviews. I'm like, I'm kind of nervous. I don't like, I'd rather just answer the questions, but no, great, great insight. Glad you guys were able to see that celebration bull. And, you know, coach prime has made so many headlines. I know you graded the first year hires for us at sporting news this week. And it doesn't matter what his grade is. His grade is a for attention because that's what he's going to get <laughs> for the next year. That's a good point. Yeah. I mean, and I will give you my impressions, I guess, from the weekend that I spent there. I went to the press conference Friday and the game Saturday, and I was a little skeptical uh, when Dion was hired. And now I've seen him a little bit up close, you know, not like Brian has, but um, I'm more optimistic and more impressed than I was before the weekend. Um, you know, primetime has got his. Uh, his his lines and his you know sayings and all that kind of stuff and how long does that resonate but it does resonate to a certain extent and the the his quarterback is talented his son his quarterback is talented and it's going to make an immediate difference and if he can just get some momentum going um and and, and Travis Hunter's a really good player too I was you know he didn't produce much cuz he was injured most of the year at Jackson State but he was healthy on Saturday and he caught the winning touchdown and the last play of the game, last play regulation. He's really good. He's a legit two way player. And um, yeah, I mean, it just kind of, kind of validated all the hype around him. Like it, I felt there was more substance to the whole Dion thing after I spent a few days around the program. Um, so let's go into those new hires. Uh, I, we sent grades out on Monday uh, there were 11 Power 5 hiring this this cycle, which is down from 14 from last year. And uh, there were two Power 5 head coaches hired, two internal promotions, two Power 5 coordinators switched schools, two group of five head coaches, and three fell into the other category, which Dion is in that other category, the other category, NFL assistants, coaches out of football, or FCS coaches. Um, so we can slide down. I want to review these uh, alphabetically by school. 
and then we'll quickly just kind of get your thoughts, get my thoughts, and then uh, move on down the list. Arizona State, first on the list, Oregon offensive coordinator Kenny Dillingham. Your thoughts? I'm young, youth. We'll see if it works. Um, obviously, good work with uh, Bo Nix this season. I think that makes him an attractive candidate, and that's a good landing spot for a 32-year-old coach. If you're going to be that young, you might as well prove it at a place like Arizona State. Arizona that I think he's got some connections down there and yeah I remember watching Oregon a couple times this year thinking I really liked their offense it wasn't just all Bo Nix I was you know I didn't know who Kenny Dillingham was but I was like they have a pretty nice offense I really like it and uh, so yeah they're they're trying to do Lincoln Riley 2.0 everyone's trying to do Lincoln Riley 2.0 this is Arizona State's shot Um, like you said he's only 32 I did look this up. The previous four coaches they've hired were an average age of 54. Uh, mm-hmm. So they are really going uh, in a different route direction. I gave them a B plus on that hire, and we'll see what happens there. Auburn, Liberty head coach Hugh Freeze. Um, he was, you know, second choice for Auburn. I think they uh, everybody knows they wanted Lane Kiffin. Kiffin turned him down. Hugh Freeze, not a bad second choice. Everyone knows he beat Saban a couple times when he was at Ole Miss. His offense is terrific. He comes with some baggage. What are your thoughts on Hugh Freeze? I mean, everything you said, offensively, he's a great offensive coach. Develops Mm -hmm. quarterbacks that Mm -hmm. maybe aren't, you know, like Chad Kelly and Malik Willis and even Bo Wallace. Uh, You know, these guys weren't highly recruited, and he's he's been able to make them – very good players and you go look, look at his old miss receiver room with dk and uh mm. aj brown if he can recreate that at auburn they're going to give people problems so i think with more resources and a watchful eye to make sure he doesn't embarrass that university or the sec again you know your grades on target what who would do better kiffin or freeze um hmm, that's a tough one i i would i would probably hire Kiffin over freeze. I like Kiffin's scheme a little better. I think he's learned so much from his coaching failures that he's turned his career around. And I still see him on the ascent, especially even if he stays at Ole Miss. I just think I don't, and I think Hugh Freeze's ceiling is like 10 and two, you know, and going to the Sugar Bowl like he did it. And, and you still got to compete with Alabama, but he is the last coach to beat Alabama in back to back seasons. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Cincinnati, Louisville. Head coach Scott Satterfield. That was kind of a surprise. I think Louisville fans are kind of happy to nudge him along. And I think Cincinnati was looking more in the G5 uh, arena or at least coordinator. I don't know if they just were happy that they could get a P5 coach, but I, I didn't love this hire. They were, he was 25 and 24 at Louisville. And, uh, you know, he was great at App, App State, but it didn't translate. No, I, I agree. I mean, this is one of those fit matters hires to me. And, Cincinnati has been so good at spotting the guy that goes on to great success in the power five. I mean, Mark D'Antonio, Brian Kelly, Luke fickle. Um, that's why this one seems out of place. I mean, I don't think they were going to get Brian Hartline, but I, I looked at Jesse Minner, who's the son of Rick Minner, a mm-hmm. former Cincinnati coach. I thought that was the home run hire. So it's surprising. This one's surprising. I've been around Scott Satterfield before, especially when he first took the job at Louisville, but like you said, there's a little bit of a red flag here. Maybe they just wanted a coach that's been in the Power Five to get them ready for the Power Five. Reminder, last Power Five head coach they hired was Tommy Tuberville. 
They don't want to be reminded of that. I can assure you that. <laughs> Colorado is next on the list. Of course, Deion Sanders, we talked all about him from A to Z. I I, I bumped my grade up to an A after the weekend. Um, just, I just, you know, the publicity has been great for these guys. Super challenging schedule. I think he's setting his own. I think he told Brian uh, that he's setting his own bar at at six six wins. He really wants to get those kids to a bowl game who haven't been to a bowl game. And you know, Dion would make the bowl game sound like it was the Super Bowl or something like that. Um, if they get to six, that's going to be a successful year. TCU and Nebraska and Colorado State. Um, you know, they're they've been struggling recently, but I, I think they're improving and the Colorado Colorado State game is actually on campus at Colorado this year which is a change usually it's been in Denver um so that'll be that'll have the feel of an event I mean it's uh it's not an easy schedule uh I think six wins will be good but I still give it an A yep I mean A for attention P for prime I mean they're gonna be in the (laughs) spotlight all the time I think uh I agree with everything that you guys just said and I don't know. We'll see. Well, if if it's six, is the, I like that he put the bar at six because I just like I said, if they go five and seven, I want to see how Colorado views that as progress. Has De- how does Dion view that? I can tell you how social media is going to view it. Um, there'll be some lessons along the way. Yeah. So all right, next on our list, Georgia Tech. Uh, they promoted Brent Key. He was um, interim coach. Uh, after Jeff Collins got fired, they went four and four, which they did not look capable of going four and four when he took over. So very, very good first impression of of taking that team over. Uh, he's been, uh, you know, he worked uh, as a Nick Saban assistant over in uh, at Alabama, and he's been. I looked this up. He's been a recruiting coordinator as part of his assistant duties at the G five or the P five level for fourteen years. Um, and he's a, he's a, he's a Georgia tech alum. So, I mean, I, I didn't know Brent key before the season started necessarily, but, uh, like I said, I was impressed and I think he's a good fit. You want to talk about fit? Um, I'm going to give it a B. I don't know what Georgia Tech's ceiling is necessarily, but I, I like the hire. He's got to win on the recruiting trail, but, and, and again, adjust expectations. They're not ready to take on Kirby. So it can't be about making your program beatable to beat Georgia. It needs to be, can we compete in the ACC? I think he earned that job through the interim stint. The win against North Carolina was particularly impressive. And um, it's a Saban assist, and I'm sure he's learned some things along the way. I, I, it's fine. It's not an A++ splash hire, but it may work out. Right, right. Uh, Louisville, they went with Purdue head coach Jeff Brom. They got him the second time. First time they didn't get him. Second time they did. Uh, your thoughts from the uh, – from? were you surprised when uh, uh, when Brom left Purdue? Kind of, but not – I mean, the alma mater, man. I mean, like, I, I say that all the time. I moved back to Ohio. I mean, sometimes the pull of the alma mater is a big deal. And, uh, you know, for him – I love it. I love it for Louisville because I know he's going to recruit the quarterback position. Well, you saw how good Louisville can be when they have a quarterback. Not, he's not going to find a Lamar Jackson overnight, but um, I love it. I, and I love it for Louisville. It's a great hire. I love his play calling personally. And um, I think he'll do a good job at home. Yeah. They, that pushes their ceiling for sure. Uh, above what they've had, what they had with Satterfield. I'm, I'm giving that one an A minus. I think it's going to be a really good hire. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mississippi State defensive coordinator Zach Arnett. They uh, promoted him uh, in the in the week after Mike Leach uh, passed away. We're so so shocked, so sad about that. Uh, you know, the college football world uh, reacted with uh, just you know a lot of touching tributes for a very influential, a very lovable uh, and, and uh, eccentric coach. Um, they named Arnett the interim coach for the bowl game once they decided they were going to play. And then less than a week later, they made him the full-time head coach. Um, he was uh, – I get Mike Leach was friends with Rocky Long, and Zach Arnett worked for Long at San Diego State for a long time, nine years, before coming to Mississippi State. Uh, he's been there for three years as a defensive coordinator. His teams were ranked 52, 31, and 39. I was surprised they did not conduct more of a national search. Uh, they – you know – I thought the the road they would go would be to let him coach the bowl game, uh, try to get through the first recruiting period as best you can as an interim coach, and then uh, figure out what they wanted to do once the bowl game was over. Uh, that's not their uh, what they decided to do. I gave it a C. I, I just I think they they should have looked around a little bit more. What, is, what are your thoughts? It might be a short term hire then if that's the case. I mean, obviously there's no playbook for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, what happened? So and we're going to find out enough about Arnett because he's going to be in the division with the best collection of coaches in college football. So, I mean, you're about right. It's just, it's hard to, for me to question an athletic department for dealing with that because it happens. So, and I think, you know, when Randy Walker died at Northwestern, they quickly hired Pat Fitzgerald. People did question that at the time, but they knew that Pat Fitzgerald was a Northwestern guy. I don't think they knew he would be that successful in a life or so. I'm hoping that Zach Arnett does have some success. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's just tough, tough spot. Um, People should give him some rope and uh, we'll see if he just learns on the job. Nebraska, Matt Rule, former Carolina Panthers head coach, is uh, opinions are split on him more than I thought. Um, I'm pro Matt Rule. I gave him an A minus. It's a terrific job at Temple, terrific job at Baylor. Uh, I thought he would be in demand on the college scene when the Panthers let him go this year and uh, Nebraska scooped him up. So I, I, I give him a thumbs up. Um, what, what are your thoughts and what do you think the, the detractors are pointing to? Uh, I don't know. I mean, maybe that he wasn't a good NFL coach. Who cares? He coached in Carolina. <laughs> like how right. many good Carolina football coaches <laughs> have there been other than Rivera? Well, I guess Rivera and Foxy, but uh, you know, it's tough. That's a tough place to coach in the NFL just like he's won at tough places to coach at the college level. So mm-hmm. tell you what, if they get Riola at quarterback, those people are going to quiet down real quick because that's where it starts. If they get the right quarterback to run that offense and a five-star guy, which they haven't had in ages, um, things will change a little bit. So I think he can build a program that's competitive. We're going to, there's a couple more big 10 guys we're going to talk about here shortly, but of the three, yeah, I like him. Not the most. There's one other coach on here I like a lot more, but I think Matt Rule will do just fine. 
Yeah, let's stay in the pack in the Big Ten with Purdue, Illinois defensive coordinator Ryan Walters. I know Walters was in the final mix at Colorado along with uh, Bronco Mendenhall and Deion Sanders. Of course, Sanders got the job. Walters went to Colorado, but he's only 36. Um, Good defensive coordinator. Illinois was number two in the country this year. Uh, He's got seven years of uh, Power 5 defensive coordinator experience, uh, five at Missouri and two at Illinois. Uh, So, you know, I think Purdue is disappointed to lose Jeff Brom. I like the fact that he's got some – Big Ten experience, and again, usually when you see the guy in his 30s who's a coordinator gets elevated to an offensive coordinator, interesting that this is a defensive coordinator. I guess uh, Marcus Freeman is in the same boat there. I gave it a B-. minus. What are your thoughts? Interesting that they went defense instead of offense. Mm-hmm. I mean, he may be fine, but you know, I thought Garrett Riley would have been a candidate. They are in a program that since Joe Tiller – they're at their best when they have the right quarterback, when they have the right offense. Jeff Brom was bringing that back. Um, but a young guy, and sometimes recruits gravitate toward young. Obviously, his defense is good. Uh, gave Michigan fits this year. So if they can bring that side and mix mix what Brom had and, and bring what he has, that'd be pretty good. So mm-hmm. I, I do like this hire. It's about right on your grade. Mm-hmm. Stanford, Sacramento State head coach Troy Taylor ended up being the choice. Uh, Jason Garrett, the former Cowboys coach, was also a finalist. They went with Taylor uh, after three highly successful seasons at Sacramento State. Another guy that falls into that other category, uh, FCS or or NFL coaches. It's uh, Taylor, Sanders, and Rule. Um, And looking back the last four or five years, the other category has actually produced some pretty good coaches. Uh, So we'll see what happens here. you know, it's his offense apparently is wide open, which is not the Stanford uh, mode that we're all used to. So that will be interesting. Um, you know, he took the opposite approach of Deion Sanders. He told everybody, "We're going to honor your scholarship offers. We want everybody back. Who's, who's up? We don't want anybody in the, jumping in the transfer portal." Um, so we'll see how that opposite approach works. I gave it a C plus. It's just it's tough to come with a, with kind of a no-name coach when you, you want a little sizzle. Uh, Colorado was 1-11. They went with the, the ultimate sizzle. Uh, Stanford decided not to do that. Yeah, I, you know, we'll see how it goes. I mean, Stanford traditionally goes with the NFL background type coach. That's why Garrett's name had come up. Um, I do think they needed to switch it up because what they were doing didn't work for three years. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'll give them a fair chance. It's an unknown hire, and like you said, sometimes they break through, but you know, B minus C C plus is the type of grade I would look at that there. Yeah. Final one. And the one you like the most, Wisconsin. They went with Cincinnati head coach, Luke Fickle out of the blue. Luke Fickle's been on every higher list that you can think of in the last, you know, all the sexy jobs that have come open the last couple of years. Cincinnati held on to him, held on to him, held on to him and seemed like they were going to hold on to him as they headed into the big 12. But no, out of the blue. And the other part of this was Wisconsin looked like they were going to hire um, Jim Leonard, the uh, elevate, the interim coach who a longtime defensive coordinator, a fan favorite, played at Wisconsin. But no, Wisconsin pulls a rabbit out of a hat and secures Luke Fickle. I gave it an A. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, it's the best hire in the cycle. Um, if he can bring the talent development that he did at Cincy with the lessons he learned about recruiting at Ohio State, with the quarterback development that Wisconsin desperately needs. 
and put all those things and, and keep some of the founding principles of Barry Alvarez with great line play and running backs. And yeah, Wisconsin will be winning the big 10 West within a year. So I think he's the best hire in this cycle. I think when then maybe it's some of the bias of living in central Ohio, but when some people were upset that Wisconsin hired him because they're still Ryan day about losing to Michigan, that, that kind of got, yeah. I mean, but they had Luke fickle. So I, I didn't get that on, on every level, but Best hire in this cycle, I think he's going to get Wisconsin, and it'll be easier when we go to 12, but that's the program, like I always tell people, sixth best winning percentage in the college football playoff era among Power 5 schools, the five schools ahead of them all been to the playoff, and I think Luke Fickle will get the Badgers there. Yeah, I mean, the Big Ten is Ohio State and Michigan. It's been Ohio State and Michigan for a while. Penn State knocking on the door, knocking on the door, knocking on the door. Wisconsin sort of knocking on the door, although, like he said, sixth best record. Does this make the Big Ten, the Big Two, does it make it a three? Like, can Wisconsin get in there? I don't know that Penn State can, but is Wisconsin going to jump jump the line and be the one knocking on the door, the one that, that like Penn State has been doing? No, I just think I wouldn't go there yet. But when USC and UCLA arrive, and you go back and look at our 1-130 to coach rankings that we do every year, you're going to have Harbaugh, Brian Day, Luke Fickle, Lincoln Riley, Chip Kelly, James <laughs> Franklin, Matt Rule, all in the same conference. That's pretty damn good. And it's not SEC West good, but it's definitely the second-best collection of coaches. Now, of all those coaches I just mentioned, you have exactly zero national titles. So it's kind of what which one of these guys – can break through and win that first national title for the Big Ten. And I've said all along, it'd probably be better if somebody outside of Ohio State won a national title for the Big Ten. Michigan hasn't won one in 25 years. Penn State hasn't won one since 86. USC hasn't won one since the Carroll days when they come in and will grandfather all their national championships into the Big Ten. Um, Nebraska since the 90s. So which one of these coaches can do that? Um, It would be good. And, And maybe it is Ryan Day. That, that does that so i think it's great for the conference you've got great coaches and that's why the sec and the big 10 you know are going to have most of the playoff appearances when this thing goes to 12 mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. agree all right well i think that'll do it for us today the cfb nation all america podcast we will be back later in the week we'll take a look at some recruiting uh the signing period will uh should have some surprises to it we'll kind of look back at the storylines that emerged from the Wednesday, Thursday, Friday uh, early signing period. And we will get back to the bowl contest. Trochi's taking an early lead. Spoiler alert. But it's very early, very early. We will preview some more bowl games, uh, and we will look look forward to doing that. Uh, So once again, Bill, get back to your Christmas presents wrapping tonight. I don't want any delays. Christmas is is fast approaching. And uh, we thank everybody again for joining us here on the CFB Nation All-America Podcast.